Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Doing a great job, and you can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar, author, and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll complete our discussion of the cases that were reviewed in this past session by the Supreme Court. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and uh, author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. We'll visit with Professor Bell as well. It is August the 26th, and on this day in 1939, the first televised Major League Baseball game was broadcast on station W2XBS, the station that was to become the WNBC-TV uh, station. Announcer was Red Barber. He called the game between the Cincinnati Reds and the Brooklyn Dodgers at Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. Boy, those were the days, huh? 1939. At the time, television was still in its infancy. Regular programming did not yet exist, and very few people owned television sets. There were only about 400 in the New York area. Not until 1946 did regular network broadcasting catch on in the United States, and only in the mid-50s did television sets become more common in American, in the American households. In 1939, the World's Fair, which was being held in New York because of the ca- became the catalyst for the historic broadcast, the television was one of the fair's prize exhibits, and organizers believe that the Dodgers-Reds doubleheader on August the 26th was the perfect event to showcase America's grasp of the new technology. By today's standards, the video was... Coverage was somewhat crude. There were only about two stationary stand camera angles. The first was placed down the third baseline to pick up infield throws to first, and the second was placed high above the home plate to get an extensive view of the field. It was also difficult to capture fast-moving plays. Uh, swinging bats looked like paper fans, and the ball was about as invisible during the pitch, pitches and hits. Nevertheless, the experiment was a success, driving interest in the development of television technology, particularly for sporting events, though baseball owners were initially concerned that televising baseball would sap actual attendance. They soon um, warmed to the idea. In particular, they embraced the possibilities for revenue generation that came with the increased exposure of the game, including the sale of rights to certain air teams or games in television advertising. Today, televised sports is a multi-billion dollar industry with technology that gives viewers an astounding amount of visual and audio detail. Cameras are now so precise that they can capture the way the ball changes, shape, when struck by a bat, and athletes are wired to pick up field events, and it's just uh, really improved. The technology is fantastic. In fact, baseball was admonished, especially the Astros and the Red Sox, for using technology in illegal ways. I think that should be updated, perhaps. But 1939, first game, my goodness, that's only, what, 80 years ago, uh, television. I remember as a kid, sitting in front of the uh, pattern, (laughs) waiting for the Howdy Doody show to come on. I must have been five years old at the time. Anyhow, a lot's happened in that time, hasn't it? Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 83 new cases of COVID-19 and three additional deaths. Now, listen to these deaths. The 90-year-old woman whose positive case was counted by the state on July the 8th, a 94-year-old man counted on July the 30th, and a 93-year-old woman who had contact with a known case. Do you think this is a little bit of a reach for counting this in the COVID-19 death count? I certainly do. Collier County's cumulative total of fatalities is now 166, according to the state. The seven-day average moving total of cases is uh, from, as of August 24th, is 54, well below the peak of 221 on July the 13th. At approximately 11 a.m. on Tuesday, there were 67 COVID-19 patients in Collier County hospitals. Again, flattening the curve, certainly not overwhelming health care in Collier County. The county had 20% of its total hospital beds available and 37.7% of its adult ICU beds. So, uh, quite frankly, I think they want to increase that a little bit, uh, want to increase the number of beds being used because it it hurts profitability. 
Anyhow, the curve is flattened and cases are reducing. Hopefully, school starts on the 31st. We hope it stays that way. Uh, by the way, CDC put out some new guidelines based on human experience. Uh, don't argue with anti-mask shoppers. This according to the CDC. So apparently there's some, been some ruckuses and some disturbances because employees are confronting uh, people who come into the store without masks, especially like Walmart. They have this root uh, view. So now the CDC is don't mess with them. Don't, don't say anything. Don't cause any trouble. CDC guideline. Anyhow, during the uh, RNC, uh, did the R Republican National Convention maintain its quality and appeal yesterday? I certainly thought so. I wasn't able to see the whole thing, but the second night was held on the theme of land of opportunity, as we heard from several of the president's family members. His children, Tiffany and Eric, took the stage to support their father's fight for freedom and for those who embody the American spirit. Uh, Melania, and uh, my wife stayed up to see Melania. I did not, I couldn't make that, but I wanted to, but uh, she got great reviews, although uh, although nothing. She just got great reviews. Uh, she, here are a couple of quotes. She said, my husband, in my husband, you have a president who will not stop fighting for you and your families. Uh, she was in the Rose Garden, of course, at the White House. I see how hard he works each day and night. And despite the unprecedented attacks from the media, you cannot stop him. If you tell him it can't be done, he just works harder, she said. She highlighted not only his drive, but his achievements emanating from the love of his country, of which she now is a naturalized citizen. From the day I met him, she said he's had only wanted to make the country the best it can be. For many years, I watched him grow concerned and frustrated, so I'm so proud to see the many things that he's done in such a short time. America is in his heart, she said. So while at times we only see the worst of people in politics on the evening news, let's remember how we come together in most, the most difficult times. While the debate rages on about issues of race, let's focus on the strides that we've made and work together for a better tomorrow for everyone. It's kind of a healing voice, isn't it? Anyhow, she was terrific. I, I admire her so much. She speaks five languages. She's from a, a communist country. She's now a naturalized citizen and... Uh, I just uh, think she is just terrific. Anyhow, Melania spoke. Uh, there were, uh, let's see, some of my favorites were <clears throat> Trump showed a video of himself signing a pardon for John Ponder. What a story that is. A man from Nevada who uh, founded an organization to help prisoners reintegrate in society, he robbed a bank. The guy that arrested him for robbing the bank, he and they worked together. Uh, to help live, uh, help a nation have second chances, he said. Uh, John's life is a beautiful testament to the power of redemption, said President Trump, and he signed the pardon. This is so cool. This is just really a wonderful thing. Uh, he pardon called the guy that arrested him. They wanted to have breakfast together. Uh, the man said, hey, I see how you've changed, and they're working together uh, to to uh, help prisoners have a second chance. Uh, Tuesday's two-and-a-half-hour lineup also featured Abby Johnson. Uh, you may remember her from the unplanned video uh, or movie. She was just fantastic. Uh, the program also featured a Maine lobsterman, a Wisconsin farmer, and a Native American leader, the head of the, our vice president of the Navajo Nation. Social conservatives were represented by Florida AG, uh, Attorney General Pam Bondi, and an abortion activist, Billy Graham's granddaughter. The convention also featured Nicholas Sandman. I think he was so well-spoken. A Kentucky high school student who you may remember was interacting uh, with an American indie at a flashpoint in the nation's culture wars. There was also uh, barrier breakers featuring like Kentucky Attorney General Gen uh, Daniel Cameron, the first African-American to hold statewide office, and Florida Lieutenant Governor Jeanette Nunez, first Latina to hold office in her state here in Florida. And the convention lineup featured a Democrat for the second night, Robert, I'm not going to say this name correct, but Vlasovic, the mayor of Eveleth, Minnesota, praising Trump for the support for, support for his uh, state's mining industry in particular. It was really an inspiring story about how uh, bringing back the mining in his city brought back the city and created a new life because of uh, the leadership of President Donald Trump. He said President Trump is fighting for all of us. He delivered the best economy in our history, and he will do it again, he said. 
Larry Kudlow highlighted economic achievements, and Senator Rand Paul said Trump is keeping us out of wars while Biden and his presidency will lead us to even more war. That's been his, that's been his uh, record. And, of course, Secretary of, of State Mike Pompeo made <laughs> stirred, stirred up everybody. They're going to do, an, uh, apparently, an investigation on this because he spoke from Israel and uh, he made some comments as well. I think it was just a terrific event, a very inspirational evening. Of course, most of the people say that the president shouldn't come out until the last night when everybody's kind of promoted him. Uh, it just reminds me of uh, Frank Sinatra's I'll, I, do it my, I Did It My Way. That's uh, the way Trump does it. And it was a, just a terrific, for the part that I saw, just a, such an inspiring evening. The Democratic uh, National Convention struggled uh, with ratings. Uh, ratings were down. Well, if we watched this on C-SPAN, and it was six times the level that it was for the uh, Democrats on C-SPAN. So it was a, a wonderful, wonderful evening. Uh, for uh, and people were watching. I guess is the point I'm trying to say. People, there was an audience for this event, which is really important. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Bob Levy. He's the chairman of the Cato Institute. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, naplesillustrated.com. You can visit naplesillustrated.com as well. Coming up, Bob Levy, that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And I hope you'll visit the website. A lot going on there. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. 
always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. So uh, we've been talking about the, well, let's, let's start off about the Cato Institute for our listeners that may not be familiar with the organization. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato.org. So, Bob, we've been talking about the Supreme Court cases the last term, and we completed that discussion, but the big question is what's coming up on next term? I know there's a lot pending right now, especially uh, I think there's another Obamacare case. There is indeed. Uh, you remember what happened with the previous go-throughs at the Supreme Court. Essentially, Chief Justice Roberts found that the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, was constitutional, but not under the power to regulate interstate commerce, which is what President Obama had claimed, but rather under the power to tax, that is, the mandate to buy insurance uh, was considered to be, if you didn't buy it, you'd have to pay a penalty. That penalty was considered to be a tax, Mm -hmm. and therefore Obamacare was authorized, said the Chief Justice, as an exercise of the taxing power. Well, in 2018, the mandate to buy insurance was effectively neutered because Congress set that penalty, or tax if you prefer, set it back to zero. And as a result, a number of Republican attorneys general sued, arguing that Obamacare is no longer constitutional since the tax is now zero and the taxing power is no longer applicable. And the Trump administration supports uh, that uh, claim. Now, I should say that uh, even if the taxing power isn't being used, Congress, when it repealed the mandate, did not repeal the rest of the statute. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, will convince the court that the rest of the statute stands on its own without the mandate. And Mm. the technical term is that these two provisions, that is, the rest of the statute and the mandate, are severable. They can be considered separately, and that, therefore, Congress did not intend that invalidation of the mandate and setting the tax to zero would bring an end to the entire Affordable uh, Care Act. Hmm. Uh, We'll find out from the court, but I suspect that this is going to be a losing argument. Sorry to say, because Obamacare really ought to be and should have been long ago overturned as unconstitutional. Absolutely. Well, hopefully uh, Congress will do that and we can get to more simplified patient-centric health care program here in the United States and more around private sector as opposed to government. So... We'll cross our fingers here, Bob. So uh, there's yet one more religious liberty case on tap. What, what's about? What's all? Uh, what's that all about? This is about uh, Fulton versus the city of Philadelphia. So Philadelphia has this uh, program where they exclude casual uh, Catholic social services from the city's foster care system, and the reason they do so is because the Catholic group will not place children with same-sex couples. So the Court of Appeals uh, ruled that the city was within its rights to end uh, the Catholic participation because of a prior Supreme Court case called Employment Division versus Smith. We've talked about that in the past. That was the peyote case Mm -hmm. where uh, Oregon barred the use of peyote and somebody claimed religious freedom to do it in the context of religious exercise. And the court basically said, look, this is a generally applicable, applicable regulation. It doesn't specifically target religion. Peyote is illegal, period, not just for those who are uh, using it in a religious context, and therefore the regulation is okay. But then we had this past term, a decision in Espinoza, which said that Montana could not inclu- uh, exclude um, sectarian schools from participation in a school choice uh, program. So uh, there's this this tension between these two cases, and the court's going to have to resolve uh, that issue. Mm, that sounds pretty important. Well, last but not least, we have this, uh, we haven't heard the final word on the Mueller report. What's pending on that score? Yeah, believe it or not, we haven't heard the final word. <laughs> We've heard a lot of words, yeah, but not the final word. Well, the Justice Department versus the House Committee on the Judiciary. Uh, The issue is whether the committee can access secret grand jury 
material from Mueller's investigation of the Russian um, alleged interference in the 2016 uh, election. The uh, appeals court in D.C., two-to-one split, said that the House was legally engaged in the kind of judicial process that exempts Congress from the secrecy rules that typically will shield uh, grand jury materials. Um, Grand jury records are court records. They're not Justice Department records. Mm -hmm. And they have historically been released uh, to Congress in the courts in the course of impeachment investigations. Um, Now, this is not an impeachment investigation. This is a further investigation by the House Judiciary Committee. Um, I think the the, uh, interesting news is that this case is not going to be decided before the election. Otherwise, it would be quite controversial. Yeah, absolutely. That's so interesting. I want to ask you about another case that uh, we're talking about a lot here on the show with uh, Seton Motley, the president of Less Government, and that's about the Google versus Oracle case. Can you make any comments on that? That's coming up in yeah, the next Yeah, just term. that it's uh, scheduled for argument <clears throat> in October. It would be one of the earlier cases considered. And it's, the issue is whether copyright uh, protection extends to what's called APIs, application programming uh, interfaces. These are these are uh, programs that do repetitive things. And right. so, let's say you want to print uh, a, a, a part of a uh, a report. Yeah. Well, there's no reason that every program in the world that needs to print has to write a separate print routine. So there's an applications program that prints or sorts or tabulates in some fashion and programmers can access these applications programs. So the issue is whether or not those APIs uh, can be uh, copyrighted and whether uh, the uh, uh, petitioner use of an API, petitioner Google, use of the API in the context of creating a new computer program of their own constitutes fair use. Interesting question. Um, The high-tech Industry seems to be before the court quite often these days. Yeah, well, but you know, uh, uh, this one side of the story is, of course, that Google just was negotiating with Oracle in order to uh, have that code, 11,700, I think it is, uh, pieces of code that they uh, were were going to use, and they just stopped negotiating and just kept it. So uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how they win there. It's an important case in terms of patents and intellectual property, so we'll see how it all turns out. Bob, how would you characterize this last term in terms of uh, the cases that were reviewed and the Supreme Court uh, decisions on those cases? Can you, is, is there a way that you can characterize it? Yeah, Roberts uh, succeeded in his goal to have the court uh, perceived as uh, principled rather than politicized. Uh, so the key decisions weren't uh, all, all liberal or all conservative. Um, uh, they uh, they did protect the right of individuals to be different. Uh, so most of the decisions, the, the big ones, were 7-2 or 6-3, yeah. and not along the predictable 5-4 lines. Uh, the court upheld the right of a, a gay person to be free from discrimination in the workplace, and that pleased the liberals, and uh, it also upheld the right of a religious order not to not to provide employees with coverage for contraceptives, uh, and the right of religious schools to participate in government scholarship programs. So that pleased the conservatives. We had Gorsuch and Roberts uh, occasionally siding with the liberals. We had Kagan and Breyer occasionally siding with the conservatives. So all in all, it was a, it was a diverse that's the uh, the buzzword of the day. Yeah. It was a diverse uh, term for the Supreme Court and right. a victory for John Roberts. Yeah, and 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 a hope too that it's uh, it that polit- that uh, the rule of law rather than uh, politics is driving decisions at the Supreme Court. We can only hope so. Yeah, I think uh, that that you can glean that from this past uh, this past term. Outstanding. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, cato.org is the website. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue 
Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policy to get people off welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and they do a great job. I hope you visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Andy, uh, you know, I don't know if you had an opportunity to watch the convention last night or the first two nights. Any thoughts or comments? Well, I, I have many. Uh, let me get that in a second. I just want to start someplace else that'll be a bit surprising, I think, for you and your audience. I, I had watched on Netflix a, uh, a uh, Russian miniseries on Trotsky, and it was the most enlightening piece of television I had seen in a long time, the way it exposed Trotsky, Lenin, uh, Stalin particularly, Kerensky, um, not only did it expose them as individuals, their viciousness, their, their barbarism, their willingness to kill uh, indiscriminately, uh, but the basic philosophies of Bolshevism and communism. Uh, so here we have uh, Russian television producing a, a serious attack on the basic philosophies that founded the, the, the Soviet Union. Hmm. The, the point I would make, Bob, is I don't think that the, uh, the American entertainment industry would do anything as dramatic as what I saw on Russian television hmm. uh, attacking the basic philosophies of communism uh, in, in Russia and worldwide. So I, I just wanted to make that point for, for your audience. If they're interested in seeing a great piece of television, Trotsky on, on Netflix. Interesting. Thank you for that, Andy. And so back to the uh, convention. Any, any thoughts? Well, the, the major thought is if, if the world could only judge the Republicans and the Democrats or Trump and Biden by the convention, uh, there would seem to be absolutely no contest. The, uh, the Republican convention was uplifting. It was professionally done, uh, most of it coming from the uh, Andrew Mellon Auditorium in, 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 in Washington. It had all of the uh, the glitz and glamour that you would expect from a capitalist society, a, an affluent capitalist society. And what you saw from the Democrats was the same way you, you would see the dark grayness of, of a communist world. It was not well done. It was, uh, it was, it was gray. Uh, it had no, no particular visual stimulation to it. So I, I just thought that just the visual impact of the convention was, was dramatic. The messages were, were even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, of the all of the all the speakers, Bob, and there were many and many fine speakers, but 
Maximo Alvarez, the uh, the immigrant from uh, from Cuba, who uh, I think in a in a very frightening manner uh, aligned what he sees going on in America with what he saw uh, going on in Cuba during the uh, advent of the, the the communist reign of, of Fidel Castro. Uh, Herschel Walker, I thought, was extremely articulate, and he's known Trump for 37 years, and basically he was saying that this man is, is colorblind. There's, there's nothing racist about this man that he's ever seen. He judges people by who they are mm-hmm. and not by the color of their skin. That was a very, uh, I think, powerful moment when Herschel Walker was up there. Vernon Jones, Georgian Dem- Georgia Democrat, uh, I thought made uh, strong comments and in support of the positions that Trump has taken and the benefits that the African-American community uh, could achieve. Uh, John Ponder uh, was on last night, a former bank robber, who was befriended by an FBI agent. And through that relationship and the inspiration uh, of his linkage with God, and uh, as he he would have it with with Jesus Christ in, in his particular case, was able to totally turn his life around and by... Uh, by association with him, many others gained from that same process. Right. So, uh, certainly, there were many others that I that I could uh, cite, but uh, the ones that stick in my mind as having the most profound implication were the were the ones that I what I just uh, alluded to. Yeah, so, no, there there, uh, there are so many cases, and what ha- the way it was presented, as opposed to policy and abstract intellectual uh, concepts, uh, uh, reinforced. The president's achievements by personal stories and uh, they, with real substance, and it was just uh, so interesting to see. Even the president swearing in six different uh, people to uh, uh, their citizenship in the United States was, I thought, quite the level of excitement. Bob was just so so interesting, so emotional for me to watch these yeah. these people. It, just the the exuberance of becoming American citizens was just a, a very wonderful thing to experience, Bob. It certainly was, and I, you know, I, I'll say this again, I, I recall my sense of pride following the State of the Union address by the President Trump. I felt the same way about the first two days of the Republican National Convention. I think it was just absolutely well done and, and substantive, very interesting and uh, engaging. At the very, it, was, it was not like watching most conventions. Well, there, there was no doubt. I mean, what you had with the Democrats was a, a, a Zoom get-together of some vague sort. It had, it had no emotional content. Uh, it had no uh, actual philosophic content that, that is uh, worthwhile. When you look at the, re- the Republican convention, not only do we have these, these uh, personal uh, recommendations for the president, but we also had the, the policies put on the table and, and, and laid bare. And uh, I think that was a a critical thing for any thinking American who was watching this. But by the way, I would mention that the uh, Democrats, of course, uh, mentioned the low Nielsen ratings on the, the first night of the Republican convention, totally ignoring that most or many Republicans are, are going to C-SPAN. They just do not want to hear talking heads on CNN or MSNBC or even on, on Fox. Uh, they don't need the commentary of Juan right. Williams, Dana Perino, Chris Wallace, and Donna Brazile to understand what they've just seen. Right. So many are just going to the unedited and full presentations on, on C-SPAN, and I would recommend that for any of your, uh, any of your listeners that have not, uh, have not discovered C-SPAN as the best vehicle to experience this convention. I'm so happy you underscored that because that's exactly, that's how we watched it. No commercial interruptions, no uh, talking heads trying to explain to us what's going on. I mean, <laughs> it was it was just a great way to do it. And you're quite right. I think it was uh, 600,000, 6 million, I've forgotten the numbers now, but big, big numbers watching uh, the convention on C-SPAN. Andy, has so many other things I want to talk to you about. Can you stick around? I will be here. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. 
Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Well, we certainly support uh, St. Matthew's House. And uh, and another big supporter of St. Matthew's House, of course, is Lulabee's Diner, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center, where I always eat our guest, uh, Andy Joppa, for breakfast. I always have an engaging and interesting conversation. By the way, Lulabee serves a great breakfast or lunch. I hope you will patronize them. They do a great job. Again, Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, back with Andy Joppa. Andy, again, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So, uh, you know, right now we're seeing uh, across the nation, not only here in Florida and Collier County, but uh, the uh, number of uh, positive uh, COVID-19 cases going down. This is not good for Democrats. What are your thoughts? Well, I, of course, it's not good for the Democrats. Most of the uh, the reaction to it, response to COVID nineteen, right from the, right from the very beginning, uh, has been a, a circumstance of political manipulation. I, I'm not suggesting that COVID nineteen was not a real problem and is not a real problem. Mm-hmm. I am suggesting the amplification of it, the hyperbole associated with it, right. has has been that. I. I published a, uh, a blog recently, I, I know you saw it, uh, called Immersed in the Maddening Crowd, where I, I just extend the COVID-19 out to its full, most dire implication. And at, in its worst-case scenario, Bob, mm-hmm. one-tenth of one percent of Americans will pass from COVID-19. One-tenth of one percent. Eighty-five percent of those people will be uh, people with existing vulnerabilities uh, among the aged, but not just the aged, but aged with vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. So here we are dismantling, for all practical purposes, the, the most profound economic engine and, and political engine of freedom in the history of the world for a, uh, a circumstance that in its worst-case scenario, Bob, one-tenth of one percent of the American population will die the vast majority of those people were in a state of, uh, of, of circumstance that in a, in a short space of time probably would have taken their lives in any case. And that's right. I can't prove that, but that, that seems to be the implication. So um, right now, uh, this is not going to be allowed to, uh, to end. I, I know the numbers have gone down. I, I believe that those numbers will be artificially stimulated again. Uh, I know what I, I know what one thing for sure, Bob, that this will not go away as a profound factor in the American system, certainly until after the election. It, it will be in place uh, until after the election. It is that thing. It is the, the COVID-19 thing, if I might, uh, that is provoking the, uh, the potential of uh, mailed out ballots and, and voting by mail. Uh, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in the future. But COVID-19 is now a political weaponry. I, I know that may sound conspiratorial, but again, I believe that uh, if you trace this from the beginning, I think we can see that this has been an artificially stimulated uh, process to create damage for Trump uh, by damaging the American economy and the American uh, culture. Um, if we look at some of the more recent reports on the amount of, of mental health problems that are that are coming out of this uh anxiety suicidal tendencies substance abuse well documented high percentage 41 percent of the people surveyed indicate some 
behavioral or, or mental aberration associated with the, with the quarantine process. So uh, these unintended consequences are, are, are hardly weighed in this model at all. The economic damage is hardly weighed because for the Democrats, and I think this is a fair statement, Bob, for the Democrats, anything that they can do that might weaken or damage the president is fair game uh, yeah. for these people. So that, that's, a, that's a horrible but I think it is true. Well, you know, just to pile on here, remember that the uh, uh, candidate Biden has said that if he wearing a mask, he said that if he's president, he'll he'll require masks even outside for three months. And if uh, if uh, uh, some sort of a expert, a medical or a, a health person like Fauci said that he should shut down the economy, he said he would do it. So, you know, that it just demonstrates how important this issue is to their platform. I mean, this is what they're basing. Uh, this is what they're basing the whole thing. You know, he's staying in the basement, I think, as an example of trying to show how he believes we should cope with COVID-19. It's extraordinary. Well, in a, in a, I'm sorry, Bob. Uh, in a circumstance like this, with a, a world of a million experts, you can always seek out and find the expert that will most validate what you want them to say. Right. Uh, so certainly there is a, a, a mixed opinion on, on, on most of this, but if we look at the schools, for example, most of the experts say you can open the schools safely with, with uh, appropriate precautions, and, and yet what the Democrats have done and they will focus on is the, is the limited number of experts, if I use the word advisedly, uh, that are saying that the schools should not be open. So uh, I think, and this was the same type of thing that happened with, uh, with the uh, climate change circumstance, uh, where they, they isolate the experts that are the ones willing to validate the political position that the, uh, the left wants them to, uh, to express. So um, you, you hate to see so many serious issues that affect the quality of life in America and the future of America being so manipulated by a party that has absolutely no concern with the uh, with the impact on on America. And again, I, I don't want to overstate this, but if I got back to my opening comments on Trotsky, that is exactly what the Bolsheviks did. They were willing to kill millions of people, Bob, and they did kill millions of people for the implementation of their philosophies. And yeah. I, uh, I'm not suggesting the left is going to do that, of course, but uh, they are willing to do incredible levels of damage merely to uh, to uh, get President Trump out of the way of their political machinations. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the Democrat Party's 2020 education platform, now this is the platform of the Democrat Party, includes the elimination of private school vouchers, which, of course, are popular with many parents, especially blacks and Latinos amid the coronavirus. They want to get rid of charter schools. I mean, that's part of the platform, if you can imagine that. We need an expansion of private school vouchers. We need the money to follow the kids. We need parental choice. We need to have opportunities. We need competition within the education program with public schools. That's how we will thrive and get better, not by shutting down the, you know, the, the Petri dishes of, of better education. But but we know that the uh, the the education unions are pretty much run uh, much of the Democratic Party. I know in New York State, no politician gets elected without the support of the teachers' union. Uh, so the, these are, are, are teacher focused uh, initiated processes. Uh, if we look at the um, uh, the implication for uh, shutting down education, it's uh, it's dire consequences not only in terms of the the lack of educational input, but I, I, I've read where the, the children going through this process are coming out feared and trauma, fearful and traumatized uh, by what they're, they're having to go through. So uh, the, these are serious issues being manipulated again by the Democrats, uh, not for the benefit of, of anyone in America, particularly not the benefit of our children, but merely, merely to get President Trump out of the way. And I did that it's not just the personality of Trump that, that they're concerned with. It is his ability to, to reach the American people and to be as a singular force in opposition to everything they want to get done. And so uh, Trump is their barrier. He uh, was that in 2016, which is what provoked their, uh, their dramatic reaction to him, not his personality and his, and his minor uh, flaws of personality, but the fact that Trump was in their way. And again, that is the same thing we're going to see in 2020, but I think it'll be uh, 2016, but uh, 10 times more dramatic in terms of what we'll experience during this election process and probably the post-election process, Bob. Yeah, no, I think I think if we we can see all the way the, the, the game plan is laid out, it's, uh, uh, 
uh, fan the flame of fear with uh, COVID-19. Hillary Clinton saying, don't ever get leave, you know, continue to protest the results. COVID-19 leading to mail-in ballots, leading to, uh, you know, a contested election. This is basically what they're basing it on because they have no platform that can win. Well, without even suggesting corruption, which I would if we had an extended conversation right now, but just looking at the uh, 2016, I predicted a Trump victory uh, uh, in, in October prior to the November election on, on one factor, and that was the enthusiasm of the Trump voters versus the lack of enthusiasm uh, for the Hillary voters. Now, the Democrats understand that same situation exists today, a tremendously enthusiastic uh, a Trump group of supporters and almost no enthusiasm for Biden. So what they're planning to do with mailed out ballots is they will go around neighborhood to neighborhood uh, encouraging people to fill out these mailed out ballots, people who would never show up at the polls, uh, not because they can't do it and I can't, couldn't get there, but because they just don't care enough about Biden to do it. But what we're going to see is that 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 uh, that that voice that was not spoken for in in 2016, and I don't think it should be spoken for. These people didn't care enough about Hillary Clinton to show up at the polls. I think they would not show up at the polls for Joe Biden. But what the Democrats are going to do with the mailed out ballots is, is ballot harvesting, and they will bring in these absolutely unenthusiastic voters uh, for Joe Biden. That is a serious threat. Uh, to the potential of a, of a Trump win. Uh, if Trump wins, and I still predict he will win in a fair election, uh, the, the challenges to the, the count, especially in, in close states, uh, especially in any state that would provide the difference in the electoral uh, ballot count that, that would give Trump the victory, uh, there's going to be challenge on challenge on challenge, yeah. legal and otherwise. Um, I, I hate to suggest this might happen, but it, you probably heard the same thing, that if they can keep this election open until January 20th, then, God forbid, the, the Speaker of the House will become the President of the United States, Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> okay, Andy. Please, God forbid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, a great summation, I think, of the Democrat game plan is pretty transparent, and we can only hope that, uh, well, I, I, I truly believe that the ground game for the Republican Party is very, very strong to counter this, so uh, we can only hope. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate uh, your commentary here on the show, and I'm going to post your columns, The Maddening Crowd, as well as Why Lies Work, on my website, Correct me if I'm wrong. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. I'll talk to you soon, Bob. We'll have breakfast. Thank you so much at Lulabee's Grill. Absolutely. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture and author of How Everything Happened, including us. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com. 
Tom to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. That's just one of the initiatives, and I proudly serve on the board. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of seven great books, his latest, How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Well, I must mention that in addition to writing books and being a professor, uh, you write columns for Newsmax.com. The name of the column is On Point. And one of the latest, you comment on the California blackouts, a prelude to the Green New Deal for America, which is so interesting. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, and uh, just before the break, you, you mentioned another article I wrote about Tesla. Yeah. And, uh, and how it's... Uh, Really being supported by by subsidies and and uh, suggested maybe we mentioned both of the articles and and I was thinking they're really related um, at a time where we see California and we see a lot of advocates for I say a lot I don't know how many there are for this Green New Deal and going on you know cutting fossil fuels and trying to support the country on windmills and sunbeams. Uh, which which constitute about three percent of our of our energy or less. The wind, the solar is even less than one percent. Same time they talk about cutting back on on fossils and essentially cutting back on reliable energy, including nuclear, where, where you can have it twenty four seven. Doesn't matter whether the wind's blowing or you know it's nighttime. Same time, you know, it's the notion of pushing electric cars. Which have to be recharged, mm-hmm. electric vehicles, and uh, so you're not only cutting the capacity of the grid and unbalancing the grid, but you're putting a huge new uh, demand on the grid, particularly at night when there's no, you know, there's no sunlight available. We don't have an adequate way of, of uh, storing energy, so we have it when we need it. You know, batteries are very inefficient and. And it's only, you know, if you have a short-term uh, um, deficit, then you can you can do something with that. And all, there's really no there's no efficient way to, or effective way to store energy when it's needed. Mm-hmm. Well, the easiest way to store energy is with, with petroleum, which is portable. You can move it around, and it has very high energy density and so on. So it's kind of a double whammy. You're pushing electric vehicles that... Uh, you know, they're sexy and they're neat and so on, but they have to be recharged. Yeah, I'd hate to have one right now in 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 the, in the eye of this of this hurricane that's coming when they're going to have electrical outage, and people will be in with electric vehicles going to be useless because they won't be able to recharge them. And uh, yeah, at the same time, we're you know we're devastating our fossil energy, and and uh, and and Biden says he won't. Uh, about fracking on public land, and his running mate, Kamala Harris, says she won't have fracking at all, so I don't know what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, Professor, I, I responded to your column and thinking, just taking a step back and saying, you know, we've already, or seeing in California the implementation of the Green New Deal. They've already taken steps to eliminate uh, certain types of uh, coal-based fuel in uh, their economy. And look, just look, we're closing down 250,000 homes for blackouts or brownouts now for hours on end. And remember, some of these people are dependent upon uh, machines to breathe. Or this, you know, this is... Uh, this could really be the future of the United States. We could end up with brownouts if we try and implement and go the deal, go with this alternative energy idea. Well, it doesn't make any sense. And, you know, California is able to rely on its neighbors for, you know, for electricity when I needed it. And uh, there's times when, you know, the, you know, when they don't use all the wind power 
Wind power is very intermittent, and what they don't tell you, and so does solar, and it can change very quickly. And mm -hmm. what they don't tell you is that in order to balance the grid, the power grid, which has to be balanced constantly, you have to have a, a spinning reserve, a backup supply that can kick in immediately when you have, you know, when you have a, a downturn on your amount of your electricity. Other times, you have too much electricity and you can't use it. But the utility companies get paid anyway, uh, whether it's whether whether it's used or not, and and uh, so it doesn't economically make any sense. These these systems have a very short life, like fourteen, fifteen years, and they have to be replaced. And they and they they they're location dependent. You can't put them wherever you want them. And and with wind, nobody wants to be near them because the you know, very low frequency sound makes you sick and it penetrates walls and it destroys your property values yeah you're not in my backyard they say and and uh so it's it's absolutely cuckoo it's just absolutely a, a looney looney tunes idea and uh even the even the, the petroleum companies play along because they get shamed for producing terrible you know fuel that powers our airlines that people want to fly and on moors and their lives and uh it's 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 just total scientific insanity yeah and just again back to the basic point of it, it's based on phony science i mean your book uh uh, the uh, Scared Witless, The Prophets and Prophets of Climate Doom, in, in great detail shows the scam of really in the po politicalization in, of this entire movement in, in order to create alternative energy or dependence on alternative energy. Just, just, could you take a moment just to explain to our listeners uh, the quality of the science that backs this? Well, you know, the conveniently forgotten facts are when some of the listeners will remember Climate Gate, where we got a hold of all these emails from, from, from a lot of these scientists, particularly in Europe and the U.S. and so on, how they were cooking the books and how they were producing these climate models that didn't come close to reality and so on. And uh, and, and so much, all of this stuff is based upon this fear-mongering and climate is based upon hypothetical models, climate models, computer models. They don't understand all the variables that go into these models or how these variables interact and so on, and and they, and they don't come close to right. I mean, you, now we have, in the interest of history and time, we can look at these performance these models, and they're terrible. Yeah, uh, they, they don't, you know they they overheat things, and they uh, you know so it's and my scientific friends tear their hair out and they say, well, why don't they why don't they understand this? And I said from the first book I wrote, I wrote a couple of them. Uh, because it's never been about science. It's always been about subsidies for these for these uh, wind and solar companies. There are supposed to be temporary subsidies to kickstart the industry, and decades later, we're still paying them. And uh, yeah, and it was never about science. And in my books, I spent a lot of you know a lot of the books I'm talking about. I use their own words. Yeah, I, I, I quote them, and uh, and uh, they can't really refute it because. In doing so, they have to refute what they said. Absolutely. And, of course, coming full circle back to Tesla, it wouldn't be a Tesla if it weren't for all the government subsidies that, by the way, were supposed to be temporary, too, Professor. So I just really appreciate uh, your columns. And I, I do want to end the interview with a dis with uh, just promoting your book, How Everything Happened, including uh, stopping, uh, starting back 13 billion years and kind of develop leading up to today and what's uh, you know what's going on. It's, uh, it's a better take on what happened than Sapiens, I, I believe. It shows you how fast history accelerates. Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, author of How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks. Always a privilege. It's my pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Law. Uh, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll visit with Michael Cannon. He is a uh, the Director of Health Care Studies at the Cato Institute. We'll visit with Seton Motley, the President of Less Government, and, and Mayor Bill Barnett, former Mayor of Naples, will be joining us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast. Oh, by the way, uh, if, you, if you'd like to be on the email list, if you'd like to be a subscriber, uh, just send me an email at bobhardinathotmail.com, bobhardinathotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. 
Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.